Romans 8, 1 through 4. That's what we're looking at this morning. We are preaching through Paul's letter to the church at Rome. A quick review about who Paul is and why he wrote this letter. Paul was, in the past, before he was saved, he was a passionate Jewish Pharisee. And he hated the message of Jesus. So much so that he arrested Christians, and in some cases even had them killed. But God, in great mercy, changed his heart, opened his eyes, so he owned up to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, saw the glory of Christ, the love of Christ, the reality of what happened on the cross, turned from his sin, put his trust in Jesus Christ, was completely forgiven, transformed, filled, God poured his Holy Spirit out upon him, and he devoted the rest of his life to telling people about Jesus who never heard the truth of who Jesus is. Now Paul wanted to go to Spain, way western part of the Mediterranean. He wanted to go to Spain because they'd never heard about Jesus, and he knew that on the way to Spain he could visit the church at Rome, which he'd always wanted to visit and had never been able to. So he wrote them this letter, where he introduces himself, summarizes his gospel, and asks them to pray for him and possibly financially support him on this major endeavor to take the gospel to Spain. So let's give an overview of what we've covered so far. Paul wrote this letter around the year AD, 50, 57 AD. And here's what we've seen up through, we're in chapter 8 this morning. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, Paul introduces himself and briefly summarizes his gospel. But he wants to go into a lot more detail about who Jesus Christ is. So in chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, he says, because we've all sinned against God, none of us can be saved. None of us can be forgiven, reconciled to God, adopted to God's family by our own obedience, by, our, by the works of the law. That's not how we are saved. We are too lost in sin to try to do that. So how can we be saved? Chapter 3, verse 21, through chapter 5, verse 21. Paul shows that God has made a way, just like we sang about earlier. God's made a way for us to be saved, to be completely forgiven and reconciled to him, now and forever. How? By faith in Christ, whose death on the cross paid for all the sins of everyone who will put their trust in him. Question. This will raise a question. If we're saved by faith alone, not by any of our obedience, aren't we just going to keep sinning once we're saved? Good question, right? The answer is no. Chapter 6, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 25. Because all who trust Christ die with Christ to their sin. Supernaturally, the power of sin is broken in their hearts. And they die to the law, to our tendency to rebel against the law, or our tendency to self-righteously try to obey the law. It's going to make me look really good. God's going to be impressed with me. We have to die to rebelling against the law and die to self-righteously trying to keep the law. So we die to sin and to the law. We are changed through what Christ has done on the cross as we trust him. And this brings us to Romans chapter 8 where we learn that amazing chapter. Therefore, in Christ, we are freed from condemnation. We are transformed 
by the Holy Spirit and assured of God's love now and forever. Romans chapter 8. And today we start a six-week journey through Romans chapter 8. Powerful, powerful chapter. And today we're going to focus on verses 1 through 4, which Len just read for us. Let's read verse 1. Look at what Paul says. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm praying that when you leave here today, that verse will just be ringing in our minds and filling our hearts with joy and transforming us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to have no condemnation? Well, first, what does it mean to have condemnation? Condemnation simply means judgment and punishment from God. That's condemnation. And the reason we have all, every one of us here in this room, we've all faced God's condemning judgment is because we've sinned against God. We've seen that clearly earlier in the book of Romans. Look at what Paul writes in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. I mean, think, think about what this means. In great love and mercy, God created you and gave you life. That's why you're here. God chose to create you. Amazing. And the tragic thing is, in our sinful pride, we've all turned our backs on God and said, I'm going to decide how I'm going to live. No one's telling me what to do. I'm going to decide what to live. And so we seek money, and we seek career, and we seek man-made religions, and we seek earthly pleasures and comforts, all these things which we think are going to fill us and satisfy us more than knowing the glorious creator, beautiful God of the universe. We've turned our backs on him. We've all walked away. And that's what is called sin in the Bible. That's why Paul says no one is righteous because no one, no one seeks for God. And as a result, we justly face God's wrath and God's judgment. We can see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, which we looked at just a little while back. Paul says, Romans 1, 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We have to understand, each one of us has faced God's condemnation, God's wrath. God's judgment. And you own up to that reality. That's just the truth. And unless something changes, what that means is that we're going to be facing God's judgment and His righteous, just wrath forever in hell. That's what this means. It's so important to understand this. Each of us has been under God's condemnation. Which is why what Paul says in verse 1 is just stunning. There is, therefore now, no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And it's not just that we're free from condemnation. The rest of chapter 8 shows us that when God removes his condemnation from us, he pours out his love upon us. Look at the last two verses of chapter 8, where chapter 8's going. Look at what Paul says. He's talking about what won't separate us from God's love in Christ. Verse 38, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else that they did. Paul's saying, nothing, 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 anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When God's condemnation is removed, God's love is poured out. That's how it works. So here's what this means. I'm praying that as a result of these verses, we will leave here with a, a beautiful, powerful, heart-filling sense of God loves me. Not just as a phrase you put on your coffee cup or something that you say in a car, but reality. The God of the universe loves you. What does that mean? It means, for example, that all your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, all completely forgiven right now, you're completely forgiven. It means that God will never leave you or forsake you. Never, ever will he leave you or forsake you. He's speaking about you right now. Each of you. You have his undivided attention. He's God. He can do that. Okay? He never will leave you or forsake you. He will satisfy your deepest longings in himself. All oh, that's good news. This room is full of people who experience that. He will use every trial. God's love doesn't mean you'll have no trials. But he will use every trial to bring you even more nearness with him, even more joy in him, even more heartfulness in him. And he is worth it all. God will strengthen your faith and keep you in our faith. He's going to keep you on the road to heaven. Nothing is going to knock you off the road to heaven. You won't be sinless, but when you sin, he will bring you back. He will, will change your heart. He will repent. He will confess. He's going to keep you. Every saved person will enter heaven. And when you enter heaven, God's going to pour out upon you so much of his presence, so much of his glory, so much of his love in Christ that you are going to be overflowing with celebration and joy and worship and tears and laughter and dancing forever. That's your destiny as somebody who has had God's condemnation removed and God's love poured out. It's beautiful. That's what no condemnation means. Are you feeling that? This is what it means. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 1. Now this is stunning. But it raises an important question. Who gets freed from this condemnation? Who gets freed? A common answer in our world is everyone. We don't all religions end up leading to God, and don't all the different roads people take end up leading to heaven, and whenever somebody dies and there's a funeral, there's always talk about how they're in a better place, isn't that what, right? Isn't that what happens? Everybody? Doesn't everybody get this? 
Look again at what Paul says in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only ones who are free from condemnation are those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not enough to be in harmony with yourself. It's not enough to get in touch with your spiritual side. It's not enough to follow your heart. It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to be baptized or christened or confirmed. It's not enough to take care of our planets or be kind to people. None of those things will free you from God's condemnation. Paul says the way we get free from condemnation is by being in Christ. Are you in Christ? That is such an important question for you to think about and consider. That answer determines whether you are under God's condemnation right now, condemnation, or, or whether that's been removed and you're experiencing the outpouring of this love right now. That answer, are you in Christ, determines whether forever you're going to be facing his just punishment against your sin, or whether forever, forever, you're going to know his love and his joy and his peace because of what he's done for you in Christ. Are you in Christ? That's the question. Each of you, think about that. There's nothing more important. Oh, Satan wants you to be thinking about work this next week, right? Or how school's going to go for the kids this next week, or whatever, what the doctor's going to say when you see him next. Those are important questions. But nowhere near as important as, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? How do you come to be in Christ? What do you do? And Paul answers that in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I'll just show you these two scriptures so that you can see this for yourself. I mean, your eternity is, is hanging on this answer and this question. I want to show you from the book how you become in Christ. Look at Philippians, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, what Paul says. He says, Indeed, I count everything as laws, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as rubbish, look at this next line, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. There it is. I want to be found in him. And how do I do that? Next line, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through what? Faith. What does it come through, Grace Church? Faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul knows nothing is as important as being found in Christ. He wants to be found in Christ. He wants to be in Christ. And he knows that that does not come by him trying to be good enough, by him trying to keep a righteousness of the law. It comes through faith in Christ. That's how you come to be in Christ, by faith. When you trust all that God promises us in Christ, when you receive Jesus as your 
treasured Savior and your treasured Lord, at that moment, everything changes in your life. And you are in Christ. Not like trying to work your way in, but you go from being not in to being in. When you receive Christ as your treasure, Savior, and Lord. So, is Christ your treasure, Savior, and Lord? Is he? Is he? Oh, he is. He is the most beautiful, valuable, precious Savior and Lord you can imagine. So he is that. Are you receiving him as that? Have you humbled yourself? Lay aside your own attempts at being righteous. Lay aside the other things you were seeking, thinking those are going to fulfill you, and see him as your treasure, Savior and Lord. The moment you put your trust in Christ, trust in him, you're in Christ. And because you're in Christ, what is true? There is therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. So it's really important that we be sure that we're in Christ. And we're in, we come to be in Christ by faith, but many of us will have this struggle. There are times in our weeks when our faith isn't so strong, right? Anybody had any times this past week where your faith was marginal? Struggling? Just kind of just quietly raise your hand, okay? For me, yes. And for you, mm, yes, okay? And when your faith gets weak, you can think, okay, now it's, I'm in Christ by faith. Man, my faith is kind of weak right now. It's like, you know, the mustard seed? It was smaller than a little tiny mustard, but smaller than a mustard seed. My faith feels really small. And so Paul wants to give us a way that we can confirm, that we can be additionally sure that we are in Christ. And he does that in verse 2. He wants to answer the question, how can we be sure that we are in Christ? And here's one additional way. Tell us in verse 2. Look what he says. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together to get the flow of thought here. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's keep these verses up on the screen. I want to make this really clear. Verse 1 is talking about a very different reality than verse 2. Two very different actions that God takes. Verse 1 is talking about justification. This is a word we all need to learn. It's all through the book of Romans. We need to learn and love the word justification. God forgiving us, counting us completely righteous before him because of what Christ has done. Justification. He completely forgives all of our sins. He removes condemnation from us. And this happens by faith alone without any obedience on our part. Remember in Romans 5 we saw that God justifies the ungodly. Well, that's all of us. So before there's any obedience in the equation, when you put your trust in Christ, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, save me, forgive me, change me, help me, you're in Christ, and that starts to go to work. So you're, you're justified at that point. That's verse 1. Verse 2 is talking about something different. Sanctification. God's act of changing us 
producing obedience in us. The law of the spirit of life, verse 2, which means, I think in this context, the word law means power. The power of the life-giving Holy Spirit comes upon you after you've been justified and starts to set you free from the law, the power of sin and of death. So the Holy Spirit starts to free you from sin and grow you in obedience. That happens after justification. We're not justified by any of our obedience, any of our works. That is no part of the equation. Faith alone is how we're justified. And everyone who's justified starts to get sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to make sure we get this, this order clear here. Notice that word for between verses 1 and 2. Verse 2 starts with the word for, which means because. This is so important. Paul is saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, verse 1. And the way we know we're in Christ Jesus, or one of the ways we know we're in Christ Jesus, is because the Holy Spirit is changing us. That's how we know. So what's the connection between verse 1, justification, and verse 2, sanctification? It's not that sanctification produces our justification. We don't obey, 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 hoping that God's going to be forgiving us a little bit. If we obey a little bit more, we'll get forgiven a little bit more. No. Sanctification does not produce justification. Sanctification confirms our justification. First, we're justified, forgiven, no condemnation, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And then, that's confirmed because we see the Holy Spirit starting to change us. That's how it works. We see that the Holy Spirit is increasing our love for Jesus. Yes, there's ups and downs, but over time, there's, a, there's an uptrend in the market, okay? Filling us with love for Jesus. Making us want to meet with God's people. Here we are. We've been worshiping the Lord in song. We're hearing God's word. We love to get together with God's people. We love to study the scriptures together, to pray for each other, to share our hearts. That's growing in our hearts. We experience the Holy Spirit dissolving bitterness. Somebody does something to you and you're full of bitterness, but oh, as you seek the Lord, as you pray, the Holy Spirit fills you with God's love and humbles you with your salvation and the bitterness just starts to dissolve and go away. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm in Christ. See that works? Bringing about generosity, strengthening us to fight temptation, stirring us to repent when we sin, because sanctification does not mean sinlessness. It means change, though. Progressive change. And all of that assures us, confirms to us that we are justified, that we have been forgiven, that the condemnation has been lifted off of us. Okay, so which comes first, church? Justification or sanctification? Which comes first? Justification. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes, justification. How much obedience is involved in justification? None. That might sound shocking, but it's so true. If it's not true, we are lost. First, we're justified, completely forgiven, loved by God, and then on the basis of that certainty and foundation, the Holy Spirit goes to work, and we're changed because we're loved, we're forgiven. My eternity is secure. God is for me. That's the foundation you need to obey on. Oh, it's so free. That's a whole other topic. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. I just can't resist though. Okay, now, back to the passage. Paul is not content just to tell us what God does in justifying us and sanctifying us, verses 1 and 2. Paul wants to tell us how. He wants us to marvel 
at what God has done to justify us and to be stunned at what God has done to sanctify us. So let's start with justification. The question I put up here on the screen, how does God free us from condemnation? That's what's described in verse 1. How does he do that? Paul tells us in verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And notice, this is something done by God the Father. Sometimes we can think that God the Father is the angry one, and Jesus the Son is the loving one who comes to save us from the Father's wrath. That's a mistaken notion. Both God the Father and Jesus the Son have wrath against our anger. Remember, Jesus cast the money changers out of the temple. Remember that? That's our Jesus. Through the mountain. Out. Out. The Father and the Son both have wrath against our sin. And the Father and the Son both love us so much that they, along with the Holy Spirit, came up with the beautiful plan of the cross. It broke the Father's heart to send him. I mean, Father, sending your Son to the cross? And oh, did it take love in the Son to go to the cross for us. Father, Son, and yes, Spirit, full of beautiful love, and all justly, because of their holiness, have righteous wrath against our sin. So don't play the Father off against the Son. The Father sends the Son here. And think of the Father's heart. Later on in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. Paul wants us to feel the Father's love for us, the cost that is brought to the Father to send his Son to save us. And what did the Father do? What did God the Father do? He did what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh. Flesh here isn't just talking about our bodies. It's talking about the fact that we've all got a sinful nature in us. We all have sin in us. And what happens when sinful people like us encounter God's law? We've seen this in the past weeks. What happens is not less sin, but more sin. I described this earlier. Either in rebellion, no one's telling me what to do, or in self-righteousness. Oh, I can do that. I can do that better than probably anybody else. I'm really, really good here. God's going to be wanting me on his team. Right? I'm going to earn some blessings from God. Rebellion, self-righteousness, both are sin. That's what comes when sinful people encounter the law, one or the other. True? It's just, that's what it is. And, but God did what the law, weak as it was in the flesh, could not do. What did he do? He sent his own son to become a man, leaving the glories of heaven, humbling himself, being born as a baby, taking on the likeness of sinful flesh. It's just likeness because he was there was no sin in him, but the likeness he looked like a sinful man. We're all sinful, but he wasn't sinful in any way. And he went to the cross, and in Jesus, God condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned sin in the flesh. God was condemning, punishing 
in Jesus, all the sin of everyone who will trust him. In Jesus. I'm trying to, I don't want to have a picture. Picture, picture, this is this big thing here, see right here. This is your all of your sin. Past sin, present sin, future sin. And all of your guilt and all the punishment that you deserve. Okay, got it right here. Alright. The moment that you put your trust in Christ, the moment that you received Jesus as your treasured Savior and Lord, at that moment, God took all of this. And he put it on Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross. And he punished Jesus. He condemned your sin in Jesus' flesh. All of it. So, if it's over me right now, and I put my trust in Jesus, and God takes it and puts it upon Jesus and punishes Jesus for my sin, there's no more condemnation for me. See how that works? My condemnation, the guilt, the sin, the punishment that I deserve was all put upon Jesus. And Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. So that's why he said, it is finished. All that, gone. He paid. So as, as Jesus was suffering on the cross, he was being punished for your sin. That's what Jesus was doing. That's love. That's our God. That's our treasured Savior, Jesus. So think about it like this. Before you were saved, you were living under God's condemnation, cloud of condemnation. Kind of like a dark, foreboding cloud over you. You know, like it's dark clouds that are coming in, you're really threatening. Okay, that's kind of makes everything dim and dull, and that's, that's where we were. But then God removed the condemnation, poured his love out upon you. It's like the, the sun of his love is shining into your, into your heart now. The sun of, of his love is shining upon you in your life right now. So from dark, foreboding clouds of condemnation to the sunshine of God's love, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how God justifies us. That's how he frees us from our condemnation. That's how he forgives us. It's the cross. It's the cross. Do you see the cross? Do you understand the cross? Do you see that all that condemnation was put upon Jesus? It should break your heart. It's like, really? How? Why? What Jesus Christ has done for you, what Jesus Christ has done for me, is astonishing. And this is our God. This is the God of the universe. Our treasured Savior, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's how God frees us from condemnation. One more question from the passage. What does God do about the power of our sin? How does he sanctify us? How does he free us from sin's power? Verse 4, let's read verse 3 and 4 together because it's a flow of thought. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned our sin in his flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
And you might think that the one who fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law is Jesus. And you would be right. Jesus did perfectly fulfill God's law. He was sinless. And if he wasn't sinless, if he hadn't perfectly fulfilled God's law, none of us could be saved. Because he wouldn't be the suitable sacrifice on the cross for us. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. Notice carefully the words he uses. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us. Who walk. Because we walk in a certain way, not according to the flesh, but according to the, to the spirit. So, through punishing our sin in Jesus Flesh, God enables us to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Now that, that does not mean we're earning anything. Our obedience, our fulfillment is never worthy of anything good from God because it's always tinged with sin. We're never sinless in this life, right? We're not. But see, the law offered forgiveness of sins. Remember the animal sacrifices. The law said, when you sin, Confess before God, bring the animal sacrifice, that's going to picture what the Messiah will do, that's how you'll be able to be forgiven, and I will forgive you. So the law offered and promised forgiveness of sins. And so that's why, for example, Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 and 2 is described as being blameless in the law. Not because he was sinless, but because his heart was set upon the Lord, he wanted to obey, and when he sinned, he confessed and repented and trusted what God would do through the Messiah. That's what's being talked about here. Sanctification. Not perfection, but progress. Spiritual change, spiritual growth. That's what Paul is talking about here. Not sinless perfection, but profound change. And progressive change. So we see ourselves loving Jesus more and more. We see ourselves confessing our sins sooner. We see ourselves responding to the conviction of the Spirit more quickly. We see ourselves forgiving other people more, loving our enemies more. And when we fail, we, we turn back and we confess and receive assurance of forgiveness. That's the requirement of the law that Paul's talking about here. And how does this happen? It's because we're walking according to the Spirit. Verse 2 emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit. Joe Berg is going to be teaching us these next verses from after chapter 4 about the Holy Spirit. Very powerful. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, the moment you receive him as your treasured Savior, your treasured Lord, the moment you trust him, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most precious things that the Holy Spirit does is he makes real to you Jesus' beauty and majesty and love and presence. He gives you time for you to feel his, his nearness. And your heart is filled, and you love him. And at those times, you know, sin can never come close to satisfying you like Jesus can. The joy of knowing Jesus is far better than the best joys the world offers by far, by far. And, and having experienced that at times through your life changes you. You, you know, that temptation, that temptation is lying to me. That temptation isn't going to satisfy me more than Jesus. Uh-uh, I've tasted it. I know Nothing's come close to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit gives you that taste. There will give you times where as you're seeking him, as you're praying, as you're in the scriptures, you will meet Jesus so powerfully, be so filled with his presence, that I don't need anything else.
have to use my treasure, Savior, and Lord. And that breaks the power of sin and increases the progress of sanctification. And it's by the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how God sanctifies us. That's how he frees us from sin's power. Okay, so what have we seen in verses 1 through 4? Let's draw this to a close. Paul's main point is verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God has removed the condemnation. He's condemned our sin in Jesus' flesh. So those dark foreboding clouds of guilt and condemnation are gone, blown away, and the sunshine of God's love is beaming down upon you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are not in Christ, we're glad you came this morning. Thank you for coming. I want you to come back. We want to do all we can to help you come to know Jesus. But let me encourage you along these lines. If you're not in Christ, turn to him right now. As you are. Feeling far from God? Yes. Feeling unspiritual? Absolutely. Having sinned like a few moments ago? Sure. All of us. But you come to Jesus as you are. Remember, there's none of your obedience as part of the equation. You're just receiving him as your treasured Savior and your treasured Lord. You're trusting him. And the moment you turn to him and say, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I can't change myself, I trust you to forgive me, I trust you to change me, I trust you to fill me, the moment you put your trust in him, you will be justified, forgiven. That, that dark cloud, where'd that dark cloud, where'd it, where'd it go? Where'd that sunshine come from? And at that moment, then sanctification will start to kick in by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Please, please, if you're not in Christ, turn to him and trust him. His arms are open wide to you. He wants you to come just as you are, and he will save you and change you and fill you. What about if you are in Christ? It's very simple. Understand, you are completely free from condemnation. Do you see that? You are completely free from condemnation and will always know that God loves you. Not as a cliche, but reality. Let me get in mind what I shared earlier. Some of what that means, means God has forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future. You are completely forgiven. It means God will never leave you or forsake you. I'm sure some of you feel like you're alone. What's been happening this past week, some heartbreaks, some disappointments in your life. He will never leave you or forsake you. Press in and meet you. He will satisfy your deepest longings in himself. Oh, we've got deep longings. Big longings. He will satisfy your deepest longings, not in what he gives you, but in who he is to you. He will use every trial to bring you even more nearness to him and joy in him. Trials are hard. Christians go through trials. Some of you are going through very deep waters now, I'm sure. He is going to use these deep waters to bring you even more nearness to him and more joy in him as a result. Through the tears, through the sorrow, he will do it. He is faithful. He loves you. 
And he will strengthen and keep your faith all the way to heaven. You will be in heaven. You, he will keep you on the road to heaven. And when you get to heaven, he's going to pour his presence out upon you through Jesus. Pour his glory upon you. Pour his joy upon you. And forever, you're going to be overflowing with joy and praise and dancing for the Lord. That's what you have in front of you. So, if you're in Christ, press in this week to know and experience his love even more. Press in. It's yours. There's no condemnation. You're in Christ Jesus. Let's stand. Father, would you confirm and press in to each of our hearts right now exactly what you are saying to us? You are here now. This is your word. You can do what I, I wish I could do, but I can't. But you can speak to each heart right now in powerful ways. I trust that you've been doing that, Lord, right now. Press it deep into each of our hearts what you are saying to us now. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you.